We're going to talk about something that I think applies to everybody that is inevitable that none of us could avoid. And I know what you're thinking, great, another sermon on taxes. No, it's the other one. We're actually talking about death this morning. Aren't you glad you came? We're going to talk a little bit about death and how to deal with it. If you know somebody in this world that you love, anybody, raise your hand if there's somebody in this world that you care for. Raise your hand. Okay, hands down, spoiler alert, they're going to die. It starts depressing. It gets better towards the end. Don't worry. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Part of it, I don't mean to make light of it, right? This is something that all of us will have to deal with. The death of a loved one. Even the world we live in today, the death toll. This is something that we're constantly reminded of that every single one of us is going to have to deal with. Whether you have already and been stung by death, or one day, I promise you, you will. And so this is letters from dad, right? Obviously from God the Father, but this is Paul crying out to his spiritual children saying, hey, look, this is one of the hardest lessons that you're going to have to learn. Let me help you process death. So I think this should be practical for all of us. So we're going to dive in to that. So it's going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 so you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. But let me read that. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to talk about how do we process death, sprinkling in a little rapture there, if you caught it, for those that love end times eschatology. This is Jesus coming, and this is the rapture. So some of you don't have any idea what that word is. And one of those cautions, I think, with Scripture, I mean, this is the only time where directly kind of this rapture is taught. It's kind of inferred in other ways, but this is it. That idea where it says we will be caught up together with him. So the Latin translation of that Greek word for caught up, that's where we get our word for rapture. And this is helping them. And here's a huge thing. I don't want to divorce kind of this idea and end times theology outside of its intended purpose. It's to encourage us to deal with life and death now. So I just want to get a little bit of caution before we dive into that. When we think of end times, we like to just kind of fantasize about all the details and try to figure out, okay, what is this going to look like? And so all the details that aren't clear in here... We major on those details that are kind of vague and we don't really know, and we miss the whole point. The point is for us to have hope now. 
Not to just be consumed with filling our head of future things. It's to be encouraged right now. And clearly the point is for us to have hope. And some of that as we deal, I think, particularly with the rapture, there's a lot of fear with the rapture. You know, a fear, okay, what if I miss the rapture when everybody's caught up in the sky? And I'm not here to knock on Kirk Cameron or Nick Cage, depending on what Left Behind series you like. A little bit, but I'm not here to pick on them too much. But I do want us to remember the point. And it's not to be afraid, what if I miss the rapture? I can guarantee you, you're not going to miss it. Like, look at the top of the screen there. When the Lord descends, there will be a cry of a command. Like, we just sang, roar like thunder. We don't know exactly, is this just God roaring so loud, it literally wakes the dead. The dead are awakened. Now, not many commentators point this out, but me being who I am, I'm going to. Like, don't miss this. Jesus is so excited by his coming, he brings out a hype man. Tell me I'm wrong. So a cry of a command with the voice of an archangel, Jesus sends down his lead angel to fire up the crowd. How cool is that? And as a side note, I want that job. If he's taking human applicants like Jesus is waiting behind the curtain of heaven, he's like, go get him, Michael. Michael comes down to fire up the crowd. Like, he just comes out, bring them out, get up out your seats. Like, he literally fires up the crowd. How cool is that? Like, come on, number one in your hearts, number two in the Trinity, the Alpha, the Omega. I'd have the angels in the background, like, oh, my gosh. You're not going to miss it, Okay. Like, you're not, I mean, there are trumpets blowing to announce the coming of Christ. You aren't going to miss it. And sometimes we miss kind of the whole trumpet thing because they don't mean the same in our culture. You think of, like, announcing of a king. Last night, I have a daughter. I was watching Princess Switched 2, in fact. They switch, they switch back in Princess 2. Don't waste your time. But if you think of any royal scene, like, we miss that in our culture, right? But any time, like the king, the prince would step out, they would blow trumpets. And exactly what does this look like? Again, I don't want to get so caught up in the details of where is this, where's that, and miss the point. The point is, God is going to announce his coming, that Jesus is going to descend. Let's focus on that. Let's not miss the point. The point is, man, they're struggling to process the death of a loved one. And he's trying to encourage them with that. And how does he encourage them? Remember how he starts, hey, don't be uninformed. What he realizes is they're wrestling with the death of their loved ones. They need truth. Here's where I want us to kind of go this morning, understand, look, guys, this is what Paul does. He walks them through. Hey, know the truth about death and those dead in Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know the truth of kind of what happens. And he builds his case and says, look, you can trust that truth. And then ultimately, again, what is the point to take comfort in that truth? So that's what we're going to walk through this morning. We're going to look at the, what is the truth about those Christians, those believers after they die. 
What is the truth? Let's know it, trust it, take comfort in it. First, I want you to know it. Here's what he kind of reminds them, the big bullet points that we need to take home. Understand the souls of the departed in Christ are with the Lord. So until Jesus comes back, we have hope and comfort that the departed in Christ go to be with the Lord. Now that isn't the main point of this, but you see it in this passage and others, of course. He says he will bring with him those who are dead in Christ, and then he will raise up their bodies. So we trust... That when we die, we have hope that our souls go to be with him as our bodies go into the grave. And again, another just little caution with this. The Bible speaks far more clearly about after Jesus comes in new heaven and new earth, our eternal existence after Jesus returns. It doesn't say as much from kind of this intermediate state. From like, you know, if we die and then now until he comes back, what does that look like? It doesn't say a ton, but we have great confidence that our souls go to be with the Lord after we die. Was another truth that he unpacks in this passage. It reminds us, okay, in this messed up world, as we wrestle through things, understand Christ is going to return. This is ultimately why one of those, where my head goes to explode of like, oh, Christianity, that's true for you and not for him. That doesn't make sense, particularly when we look at, I mean, this is real visible, actual, Christ is going, as it said, to descend upon the earth. He is going to return, and every eye will see it. That either happens for all of us or none of us. And so he encourages them, look, okay, yeah, our souls go to be with him, but one day he's going to return, and then the dead in Christ are bodily resurrected. So our souls go to be with him, he returns, and then that cry of a command says the dead are raised. So again, our state, we don't live as disembodied souls just bouncing around on clouds. Just understand the truth. I'm going to return. The dead will be raised. And then finally, the last point he points out in there is, we are reunited with our loved ones and our Lord. It's difficult, right? Death is a hard thing death of a loved one is one of the most difficult things that we could deal with. And again, Paul, to his spiritual kids, reminds them, don't be uninformed. Don't be ignorant of what is true. I'm going to return. They will be raised. And it says, we will meet them in the clouds, in the air, and then we will be reunited with our Lord. And it says, we will be with the Lord forever. Do you know that? Do you believe that? And so he just kind of basically lays out, hey guys, don't be ignorant of the truth. As you wrestle with death, know that this is true. So I want you to know it, but he does go on and build his case more. He goes on and says, I want you to really believe and trust in this to the point where it actually impacts your life now. It informs your grief because it's in light of good theology. Because here's the deal. you got to wrestle with what happened here. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. So did Paul forget to mention this to them when he planted this church? 
Like, did Paul just, like, leaving, you know, and he's leaving the disciples, like, hey, did you mention the resurrection? Oh, no, I forgot to bring that part up. I'll just DM him when I get to Philippi. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't see that being the case. My guess, and we're guessing, part of my guess is what happened. We don't know exactly what they were confused about, but some of it, I think Paul taught him this. He says, yeah, I believe this. And then death hit their doorstep. They had to wrestle with, okay, do I really believe this? Do I believe this is true? And is this going to give me true hope? And that's a part of why Paul builds his case that you really can trust it. Because some of my hope is to kind of get past cliches, right? I have conducted many funerals, and every single one, I'm sure, I don't think I've been to one, where at some point somebody didn't say, Oh, you know, it's good now. They're in a better place, right? Now, we say that all the time, but oftentimes we just say it in a nice cliche way to make us feel better. Oh, you know, they're in a better place. Now, if you're in Christ, I believe that to be true, but my hope for us is you can get past the placebo effect into I genuinely put my trust that this is happening to the point where it impacts my life. All this talk of vaccines, you know, have you read any of the articles, that idea of a placebo effect? You know, placebo effect is you don't get the real thing, but you have some benefits from it. Because all of us, if we think we're getting, you know, the real thing, or if we just convince ourselves something is true, there is improvement. But that doesn't mean you're getting the real thing. I think that's so true in Christianity. Some people just get a placebo Christianity where they're not really trusting in it. They're not really believing in it, but they kind of give themselves a nice little pat on the back. Okay, let's say this, but it doesn't really help us in our grief. So yes, I want you to know this is true, but I want you to trust in it really believe in. And I think Paul knows, like, this is a hard thing to wrap our head around as we look at end times in the rapture and Jesus is coming back. So I think in part of Paul building his case to really trust this is he reminds them, look, this is a word from the Lord. He reminds them, look, these things that I'm telling you, I have directly received them from God. So I see two cautions in this passage. Like, yes, don't be ignorant, but don't be arrogant either. And part of what I mean by being arrogant is part of our trust in, is we put our trust in what we think's going to happen after this world. And if you don't believe that to be true, just talk about the afterlife with somebody. I mean, I've heard the craziest of things. Well, I think after we die, we all get our own heaven. And we have our own heaven that we create. That's what I think. Okay. Like, I think that there's purgatory. I don't think there's purgatory. I think we all get unicorns and we ride them down rainbows. That's what I think. Let me pound this drum, okay? What you think does not determine reality. Are you putting your hope and what you think heaven's going to be like, and that is where you find peace. Eventually, that's just false hope because it's not rooted in true belief. So I'm telling that if you think this or that, that I think all paths lead to the same God. Well, good for you. 
Paul says, look, if you believe something outside of this, you're wrong. This is what's going to happen. Now that will probably sound arrogant. And Christians will obviously be you know, accused of this. How can you be so arrogant to say your view of heaven is different? It's right over my view. Here's the massive difference. I'm not standing up here telling you what I think it's going to be like. I'm telling you what God revealed in a word from the Lord, what God told us is going to happen. So are we going to be so arrogant that I'm going to go off of what I believe or what some 10-year-old took a nap and went to heaven and I'm going to believe that? Or are we going to believe what God has revealed and it's hard to imagine this. What is that going to be like? But again, think of the arrogance of that. You really think God is limited, limited by your ability to imagine this? Of course not. Paul reminds them, look, this is a word from the Lord. This is what is going to happen. Don't be uninformed. Don't be ignorant. And don't be arrogant. And then the greatest proof that all of us have, he reminds us, look, Jesus died and rose again. Even so. Like, that's his great proof. Do we have hope that really, like really the people that are in Christ that have died, that I'm going to be reunited with them again? That's a tall order. That is a hard thing to believe. Paul reminds them, look, Jesus died and rose again. Even so, if Jesus can conquer the grave, he can raise your loved one out of the grave. I promise you. And to you, right, that's a great phrase talking about this when jesus rose from the grave death no longer is a one-way street you catch that you know apart from christ death is a one-way street there's no going back but once jesus conquered the grave death now is a two-way street that you can be raised to life again he proved it in conquering the grave so not some cliche way, not in just some placebo, make myself feel better kind of way. But you can truly trust that you will see your loved one in Christ again. Christ proved that by defeating the grave. If Jesus can create all of this out of nothing, I promise he can recreate your loved one and that you will be with them again. So I want you to know it. I want you to trust in that but ultimately i want you to take comfort in that that's where he goes with in this passage he ends with this therefore encourage one another with these words so my hope and prayer this morning is that you will be encouraged by that so how do we as believers process death particularly the death of a loved one that we know in christ this passage that we just read, almost every funeral that I conduct, I will read this verse. Because in this, I see two great errors in processing death. Some just give yourself a break. I've never met somebody who feels like they perfectly process death. Like, hey, you lost a loved one. You know, how are you doing? Like, how are you processing that? Correctly. <laughs> Rightly. To the perfect amount. Nobody feels that, right? Like all of us struggle. Am I grieving too much or too little? So in some ways, like take a deep breath. And I want you to avoid these two errors that he lays out. What does he say? Grieve. Don't grieve 
he doesn't say just don't grieve. He says don't grieve as those who have no hope. See, grief is assumed. Like, grief is assumed. Jesus doesn't condemn us for grieving. Even Jesus at Lazarus' tomb, he weeps at that death. So grief is assumed, but don't grieve as you don't have hope in the resurrection that you will see them again one day. Sometimes I think as Christians that we should just be happy. They're in a better place. And so it's not okay to grieve. This is a good thing. You miss somebody that you love. That person in your life that you care deeply for, you don't get to see them right now. And that's sad. So grieve. Don't feel like it's not okay because I'm supposed to believe in a better way. But don't go to the point where you are devastated and crushed beyond repair because we're not remembering the hope that we have. So here's this idea that I feel like we have to separate. There's grief and hope, and we don't know how to bring them together. Don't separate those. Hold both of them. In fact, marry them together. Your grief, I want you to surround it and wrap it in your hope. I miss them dearly, but I know the hope that I will see them again. Do you believe that and really trust in it to the point where it informs your life now? This isn't just trivia for later. This is comfort for today. And so as we look at this scene, I want you to think reunion more than rapture. We go to this and try to figure out the rapture and, okay, where are we at, you know, in the clouds and in the air and what kind of cloud? Is it a nimbus cloud? What's Jesus? A lot of those things are vague. We don't know exactly the details. What do we know? That there will be a great reunion. That we can trust in that. There be more. That's the main point of this passage, right? It mentions, so death, don't think cease, think separate. So when you think death, don't think cease, think separate, right? When we die, we don't cease to exist. Our soul and our body separate. When we sinned and we died, we separated from God's presence. So what is the flip side of that? It is reunion. He says, when he comes back, Those souls that have passed on will be reunited with their bodies. We will be reunited with our loved ones and reunited perfectly with our Lord. I want you to take comfort in that, that that is coming. To kind of process this, I don't know why, my kind of personal experience and even experience as a pastor kind of led me to think through it like this graph. I kind of walk through this a little bit. And this, this informs kind of how we process grief. See the two access there, right? So like time apart, like the time that you're away from that loved one has a direct effect on the amount of sadness and grief that you feel, right? So let me kind of walk through this a little bit. What does this look like? So for me, when I go to work, and so that's one day, right? So that's one day. It's not to scale for all you, you know, graph nerds to like settle down, but <laughs> you get the idea, right? So every day when I leave for work, you know, I'll kind of give my kids hugs on the way out to the door, and I'll sit at the top of my stairs and hug my son. And almost without fail, my son is like, but Papa, I'm going to miss you today. Come on. 
but I know it's just a day, right? And sometimes they try to convince me. I think they're trying to get me to skip work because like, they've said this before, both my kids, like, but, you're, but I love you, Papa, and, and you're my favorite pastor. If you're trying to get Sweet Frog tonight, it's working. Gosh, right? But I know in the end, like, it's just a day, and I'll tell him that, buddy, I'm going to see you. We're going to wrestle tonight. And he gets excited, and we wave from the window, right? That's a day. There's a little bit of sadness. I remember the first time for me, secondly, when I went on my first kind of mission trip. I went on the first mission trip when I had a family and kids, and it was weird. So we talk about missions. I love missions. I love spreading the gospel. And I would go, and I'd love to go anywhere and go to places where they don't know Christ. And then I had a wife and kids, and for the first time it had a twinge of sadness with it. Because I was for long, you know, for a week or maybe two weeks or even a couple months to be apart from my family. And it felt different for the first time. And, like, as soon as I get back to the hotel, I'm trying to FaceTime, like, hey, boo-boo, like, I miss you. Because the longer you're away, the, the more sadness it is. And you think of, you know, those in the military. I've never served with that deployment, right? You could be away for years. That informs your level of sadness. But part of what I want you to know, and this is a part of what is doing and what Christ did when he conquered the grave. I want you to understand the hope of the resurrection this way. Understand death has a timestamp on how much it can keep you from your loved one. Part of where death feels so difficult, it feels final. It feels forever. But you got to understand if this is true, man, eventually. Now, yeah, it's further, and that's why it's more sad. I may not see somebody I love, and even if somebody dies young, I think that's a part of why there's even, has that more twinge of grief. That that's that much longer that I don't get to see my loved one, but know this. That time isn't forever. It's time away, but you will eventually be reunited with them as you process your grief. Process it knowing that death has a time stamp on it and what, how long it can separate you from the ones that you love. So grieve, but grieve appropriately. Yes, it's going to be sad. But let it be informed by this reality. So we're sitting together getting lunch with Tommy and Courtney. They're about to go soon. And it kind of hit me, we've been walking together for a while and like, wow, this might be one of the kind of the last lunches. And we were talking about that, like, man, that's just sad. They're going to go, and God willing, they'll come back and we'll see each other again. But we were talking about that, how is your goodbyes? But then I realized this. Understand this, as believers in Christ, you have never ultimately said goodbye to anybody. Amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, there is no goodbyes, there is only see you later. Goodbye seems final. I don't know if you listen to 103.3, but I love the way Janelle signs off. Hasta luego, mi familia. If we're family in Christ... I can never look you in the eye and ultimately say goodbye as if I won't see you again. And whether it's three years, 30 years, or never again on this earth, there is never ultimate goodbyes. There's only see you laters. 
Tim Chalice. He's a pretty prolific writer, blogger. I mean, kind of if you're in Christian circles that I'm in, you maybe heard his name before. Like two, three weeks ago, his only son just, no warning, collapsed and died. Horrible. But he is a beautiful example of what it looks like to grieve with hope. I want you to listen to this blog post of what I'm calling and hoping all of us can do. Tim says this, Yesterday the Lord called my son to himself. My dear son, my sweet son, my kind son, my godly son, my only son. We have no answers to the what or why questions. Yesterday, my wife and I cried and cried until we could cry no more, until there were no tears left to cry. Then later in the evening, we looked at each other in the eye and said, we can do this. We don't want to do this, but we can do this. This sorrow, this grief, this devastation, because we know we don't have to do it on our own strength. We can do it like Christians like a son and a daughter of the father who knows what it's like to lose a son. Even though our minds are bewildered, our hearts are broken, our hope is fixed, and our faith is holding, our son is home. That is what it means to grieve, but grieve with hope. In his post, he called his son, my waiting for me in heaven, boy. When it talks about they fell asleep, that's their word for death. But in that, you understand, listen, sleep is temporary. You will wake up. And that there will be a reunion. Maybe a long time. But here's the good part. I think this graph is true. But I want to show you another graph that I think is true. I think the time apart is also equal to the amount of joy at the reunion. And that's what I want to encourage us with. I love when I go home from one day and my son jumps into my arms. I'll never forget when I went on my first mission trip and seeing my kids run down that tunnel at the airport and jumping in my arms. I can't not show one of these videos, but we've all seen, right? Those soldiers coming home and picture, this is just the joy after two years. Watch this. <laughs> Do you understand that that's coming? That like God is waiting. Jesus is waiting behind the curtains of heaven to come back. He's waiting with all your lost loved ones. And that day is coming. Do we experience the hope of that reality? I want you for a minute to think about this reunion in the clouds that day. It's coming. And it's true and it's real. That day when you get to meet them in the air, you're going to look through that crowd. You're going to see your spouse again one day. Your grandma, your faithful grandma, one day is going to be there. And you're going to wrap your arms around each other. Let that inform your life now. But make no mistake, 
our ultimate hope isn't seeing our lost loved ones. That's kind of the side point. Our great hope is that we'll be reunited with Christ. And it says that great hope that we will be with him always. That idea of with isn't just that you're going to see him and that you'll be next to him. It's a deeper word that this idea that you will be made complete and whole in that moment. It's not just death. Everything that you grieve right now in that moment will be gone. We will be made complete in him. As Tim Keller says, in that moment, all sad things become untrue. Every desire that you're longed for will be gone when you make, meet Jesus. Because when you meet Jesus, you'll realize he is the one that you've been longing for the whole time. This is true. This is coming. Does that give you hope now? We don't sing, it will be well with my soul. Because God is faithful and that day is coming. We sing, it is well with my soul. And that's my hope, whatever sorrow, whether it be death or another, that peace like a river rolls over us because we are steadfast in that hope of Christ. And if this is true, that this day's coming, not just with our loved ones, but with the Lord. We can sing, it is well with my soul. Will you stand with me? And I'll pray as we sing that. Father, please help us that your spirit would convict us, that we would get past cliches, that it wouldn't just be something to try to make us feel better, but we would be grounded in your truth the reality that you conquered the grave, that it's not a one-way street, that we will be reunited with all our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we will ultimately one day be face to face with you. That is all sad things become untrue, knowing that every sad tear will one day be happy tears in that moment. God, because that's happening one day, Give us peace today. In Jesus' name.